episode 42 of Beards, Business, and Balls, as always, presented by Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your podcast today. Jake Zimmer and Will Tondo, today is Tuesday, February 23rd. We have a very special guest today, probably the most well-known guest we've had on this show. The master of disguise, former Mets, Red Sox, and Rangers manager, arguably one of the most hated men in Boston, unfortunately, Bobby V, Bobby Valentine. Uh, what a wild interview we had with him. That guy was an electric factor. I mean, he was he was just all over the place. I mean, he we we had to call him like three or four times. He was just chilling on the phone, playing with his mask. He was just always smiling, making faces. He had some pretty funny stories just about his life as a whole. But yeah, I mean, Bobby Valentine. Um, I don't know how this will be perceived. He's definitely one of the most high-profile people we've had on the show, and he has an incredible career, but we have a wide array of listeners. You know, we have a lot of Red Sox fans. we got some Mets fans, baseball fans as a whole. Like, Bobby Valentine, I mean, he might be one of the most disliked but liked people in baseball. It's so I, I weird. Don't, I don't know. I don't know. And ESPN, when he was working for them, they painted him as this, like, you know, this lovable, goofy guy, but, like, his reviews weren't that great. It's kind of crazy. And let's be very clear. Like, we appreciate Bobby V coming on. We had a great talk with him. And he's done a lot of good work for the world and for baseball. And um, it, it just, it's been marred by a lot of scandals and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Red Sox fans are definitely going to be like, oh, Bobby Valentine. Like, that guy, <laughs> that guy was uh, something else. And I triggering mean, bad memories. Triggering bad memories. But Mets, I mean, he was a player and a coach there. I don't know how many Dodgers fans we have, but Dodgers fans got a somewhat like him yeah and, I, don't, I don't know and more importantly i mean we we do get to talk with bobby about the work that he's doing at sacred heart now which is very cool to see him uh transition totally to the athletics world in the college space he didn't even get a college degree as he mentions in his interview so getting to that point was certainly a foreign world for him and overall some good work he's doing at shoe yeah so we hope you enjoy that interview um he he, he, he's a character. He's yes. a character. Yes, he is, and you guys will see for sure. Um, as always, if you need to prepare for a Bobby Valentine interview, crack open a, a, a craft beer. So what do we have on tap today? Yeah, this week I'm drinking a Foley, Foley Brothers Brewing, a microbrewery in Brandon, Vermont. Um, I'm doing the Big Bang, really cool can. It's very, uh, it literally looks like the Big Bang with a, a hop in the middle of it. But it's an unfiltered single IPA brewed with Citra and Galaxy, then dry hopped with Citra, Mosaic, Amarillo, and Simcoe. So, I mean, all of the top tier hops right there. Um, it's got very fruity flavors, passion fruit, papaya, grapefruit, and melon. Um, from my memory, it was a pretty decent beer. Uh, the can definitely, I mean, we've mentioned this in the past. If it's got a cool can, it's a cool beer for me. Uh, very tasty, very flavorful. Vermont beers, I mean, very, very underrated beer scene, I would say. Not many people talk about, I mean, we talk about Vermont beers, but not many people mention the amount of high quality beers that uh, take place in Vermont. So I like this one. Um, I think it's when we picked this up in Vermont when we were at uh, Killington and we just picked up like 30 different types of craft beers to be able to review over time and crack this one open. I was like, hey, not bad. So three seven five for me. I'll get. I'll drink it again. I think we have a couple more in the fridge. Vermont is a very weird place for beer, but it's 
because it's not as heavily concentrated as some others, but they just have a lot of space to fill with a lot of breweries, basically. Yeah. So it's not like a place like Pawtucket where there's everywhere you turn, there's a brewery. But they just make a lot of good beer. Like, there's not a ton of breweries out there. The scene's good, but there's just not a ton of them. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way to describe Vermont. I don't know. That's the vibe I get. I'm going to take you to Connecticut today. New England Brewing Company, or Nebco, as it's very well known down those parts. One of our favorite IPAs in Connecticut is Sea Hag. And I can't believe I never brought it up. Sea Hag's just one of those crushable IPAs. Kind of tastes like a little heaven from Two Roads, in my opinion. Uh, Columbus hops, Centennial hops, Amarillo hops, and Citra hops. That's a that's a dynamic... Uh, I, I was trying to say, like, trio, but I don't even know what the four-person version of that is. So Quartet? Uh, yeah, quartet. Quartet. Wow, I'm really dumb. You had that <laughs> right, off the, right off the bat. 6.2 ABV, so nothing crazy. Um... Man, I, I really like Sea Hag. They serve it everywhere in Connecticut on tap. You can get it in a can at most liquor stores, too. Um, citrus flavor, very fruity. It's very crisp. They have some backbones of Pilsner, Munich, and Crystal Malt. So, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous to the taste. Um, my favorite place to get it is the Hops Company or THC in Derby. I love Sea Hag, and I think that everyone in New England is not a true beer drinker until they try Sea Hag. I give it a four on Untapped. There's some days that it's getting a four or five for me, though. Yeah, love no, this beer. Sea Hag's a very good beer, and it, I I always look at Sea Hag and anything from New England Brewing Company. It's like if you're visiting a friend and you you're bringing some beers, like this one's just an easy go to. It's like right. you can find it pretty much anywhere. Um, all of their beer, they have a, a you know a huge portfolio of stuff, but. It's not too expensive, it's good quality, and nine out of 10 times, the person you're giving to is gonna enjoy it, so. It's like the little cousin of Two Roads, almost. Yeah. Like, this is what Two Roads would be, like, six years ago. Yeah. Which is awesome to see. I mean, I love the work that is doing, and they distribute all over New England. Where are they brewed out of? They're in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Okay. Either Woodbridge or Bethany, I can't remember the yeah. exact town. Um, I'm almost positive it's Woodbridge and, like, North Haven area, so. Um, yeah, real close to New Haven, very good stuff from Nebco. Uh, so check them out. Foley Brothers and New England Brewing Company. Yeah, but before we uh, close out the beer segment, I mean, we got to touch upon House Brewing Company a oh, little yeah. bit too. Uh, a lot of great stuff in the pipeline. Uh, we are brewing a chocolate stout right now. It is right next to it, us. Right next she to us. It smells delicious. It is. It, we are excited for this one. We haven't even put chocolate in there yet. Not we? yet. Not yet. And it is very, it's full of aroma. Uh, very looking forward to that. We just recreated our number two, uh, probably one of our most successful and popular beers, the uh, Red Ale. So again, hit us up if you want more of that. That'll be ready in a couple weeks. And then we have a very special beer. I mm-hmm. uh, don't want to give up too much, but a collaboration with a social media legend, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, very exciting to see. If you follow us on Twitter, you might have caught a glimpse of it a few weeks back. But we're in the process of creating this innovative beer. Uh, again, don't want to give much away, but... Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, we're going down roads that not a whole lot of homebrewers have gone down here. Yeah. So tea and beer. We'll tea and that. beer. Tea and beer. We're, we we <laughs> bought a lot of local products too. I mean, the hops we got in Providence actually at the uh, uh, the flea market right down the road. Yeah, we have their business card. We'll shout them out next episode. Yeah. Because right? I'm not gonna go get it right now. And then we went to a tea garden right on the uh, 
Seekonk Providence border. Yep, shout out to Seven Arrows Farm, um, Mish over there. Um, he's he's the, the man, Mish Marcelo. Um, we're going to be talking with them at some point, I'm sure, but they uh, they have a hookup. They have a yeah. tea room at their farm, and we just walked in. You could scoop in tea into a bag. It's really cool over there. Yeah, and then, of course, we got our consultation from our friends over at uh, in Woonsocket um, Valley. What Blackstone is Valley. Blackstone Valley Brewing, yeah. Yep. So all great stuff. So keep an eye on social media for uh, more information on that, but that's beers. We will be dropping some stout and how you can get it. Uh, over the next couple of weeks because this is going to be a long beer for sure it's it's still cooking right now and churning but we are uh, we're, we're excited for what's to come there let's go into business now i'm going to take this in a little bit of a different direction here um texas has been an absolute nightmare over the past couple of weeks ice storms snow everything like that, that normally up here in the Northeast would be totally manageable, totally fine, and everyone would carry on about their days. But in Texas, they're not as prepared for winter storms as we are up here. So um, obviously the roads are a problem. You know, you have the pileups. I'm sure everybody's seen that all over social media. You have trucks run, running into each other because they can't control their brakes. Uh, there's not enough salt on the road. There's not enough dirt to, to melt the ice. And then you combine that with the energy predicament in Texas, which is what we're going to talk about today. Texas is run, and I did not know this, they're almost run, like a considerable amount of their energy is run off renewable sources, like wind turbines, other things of that nature. And when it gets cold, they freeze up and power goes out and you get rolling blackouts for days and weeks and things like that. Now, Texas knew this was a risk, but they also knew this was like a once in a lifetime scenario. And unfortunately it was doomsday. So in Texas, um, you saw a lot of energy socks suffer here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers going out to Texas. Uh, some of the photos you're seeing in the videos and the stories are just crazy. I think over 100 lives have been lost too Yeah. Um, from the storm. But yeah, this is huge news in the business world and it's not really being touched upon. Um, we'll go into detail with the energy and different energy stocks in a little bit, but what what does this mean for the future of Texas? You know, we've seen in the past that people are flocking to Texas as this new utopia for, you know, tech companies. You're seeing Tesla and Oracle and Facebook and all of these places are, you know, making some sort of um, move to Texas. But yeah, don't forget Dell, who's been Dell, there. Yeah, for, Dell's been there for a while. Yeah. And South by Southwest is always in Austin and all of these things. It's like it's becoming now this you know, tech utopia, but what we don't know what kind of changes, you know, government wise, structure wise, infrastructure are going to take place after this storm. You know, they're still obviously in the midst of it, but the future of Texas is going to be alarming because one thing we do know, Texas people do not like change, um, <laughs> you know, and the reason people are flocking there because it's, it's cheap and affordable, but if changes are going to be made to make sure that this doesn't happen again, you know, that companies and energy are still going to be uh, stable during any type of storm or any type of natural disaster. Uh, will that change the impact on, you know, the tech migration to Texas? And some companies that are feeling those effects right now, NRG, uh, energy, which is kind of, I don't know why they- Energy, 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 yeah. energy, come on. Yeah. Can't think of anything else. NRG Stadium, though, like in Houston, uh, the company that, that owns them, um, 
they went down significantly last week. They were down uh, minus six and a half points um, as of the market opened today. Uh, they're going to suffer some really big short-term losses, according to Morgan Stanley, because not really a, uh, a complicated formula here. They need to buy power. Power price is going up because it's at a premium, and a lot of people are asking for it because they're out. So, I again, uh, not a financial analyst by any means, but when prices go up for a supplier and the demand increases a ton, that's generally not good for the economy. No, no. It's definitely, um, I think one of the most alarming things too are some of the price tags consumers are getting because of this. I mean, we're seeing people that, you know, with the rolling blackouts and just power loss in general and everything, you know, when people do have power, they're getting slapped with thousands and thousands of dollars worth of bills, which is just disgusting. I mean, I, you know, I understand that, you know, power is not cheap right now with everything going on down there, but that's just, that's just shitty. That is just, that is just classless. It is. <laughs> I mean, classless. it is. It's just like, I understand like, you know, we're trying to figure out this shit show right now, but that should be illegal. You know, people are like now having to like consider it's like, all right, you know, my five minutes to get power, I have to boil water or, you know, for shower, for water, for anything. But I also have to face the possibility of paying thousands of dollars in the near future. Yeah, this is going to be bad. And this is part of what needs to be worked out while the country shifts to renewable energy. It's basically, you have this ever-expanding market. You have way new, um, you have people who are new entrants into this space. But when this market share grows, you have power price volatility that also grows up. So it's, it's a weird conundrum where yes, we're moving towards renewable energy, but there's gonna be a period of five, 10 years or so while we try to figure out, you know, what jobs are we gonna replace? Uh, Who's going to work in these jobs? How are we gonna train them? Who's gonna finance it? Um, But more importantly, and the most importantly is how how is this industry gonna be regulated and affordable for the consumer? Now, Texas, they just have to be their own people and not report back to the government, you know, up here you have places like National Grid and Eversource and like United Illumination and Connecticut UI, who they all have to report up to the Utilities Commission and they're regulated in price. They're, um, you know, they, they have some heavy oversight for the government. Texas is too damn stubborn where they don't want to do that and report back. So now they're in this situation where they can't be helped by the government. The government can't say, oh yeah, they have to you know, lower their prices to a certain amount. They can a little bit, but at the end of the day, they really don't have any power. They can just provide guidance. So that's a nasty stab in the back for these Texans who don't like change, who don't like authority, and now they're paying the price for it. Yeah, and obviously this, you know, all we're talking about right now is like still weeks and weeks on in like developing because they still need to figure out like, how to fix what's going on right now. And it doesn't help that you have a guy like Ted Cruz, you know, your government official heads over to um, Mexico for a quick little vacation while people are freezing and dying. And, you know, we're not getting into politics. It's just like, that's just a bad look, but there's still people without power. Millions, (laughs) millions, you know, it's like how, you, you know, it's, it's crazy for us to, I think, to digest this because it's in New England. Like when we live in New England or the Northeast, it's like, we have a snowstorm. It sucks for 24 hours. It's cold. Yeah, you but go life, outside and shovel and you get on with your fucking Life head. goes on. It's like it's hard for us to, you know, stomach this because we're just like, all right, it's cold. We get it. It sucks, but we move on. Like they are just not built for this. 
I remember one time that I was on a cruise down in Florida and it snowed and it was like an inch, you know, it was like a dusting. And the cruise, like the cruise line had to like shovel because they didn't have shovels with like food trays and like makeshift stuff. And they were like in an absolute panic and people were like afraid to touch the snow. And they're like, <laughs> it is like less than an inch. Like, what are we, what are we going crazy for? It's like, it's so absurd that it's like, there's just no preparation for this whatsoever. And you know, they always say like, oh, you got to prep for the worst. It's like, we we're talking with a couple inches of snow and, and you know, some freezing temperature. It's not the end of the world, but right now in Texas, it is the end of the world. Yeah, that's crazy. And these turbines are still all locked up and frozen yeah. up for the most part. They have warming centers in Texas. The government had to intervene because they literally had to because people were dying on their hands and they didn't want a humanitarian crisis uh, at, you know, on their conscience pretty much. So they literally set up places for people to get warm. Yeah. Like that is unfathomable to me. Yeah. To me, it's walk into our apartment or house and- Turn the heat on. <laughs> right, but that's physically not an option for people and it won't be for weeks. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? In America, in the United States of America, there's people that can't get warm. Like in their own house, and they're, the, the government says, oh, we don't know. We don't regulate that uh, industry. That's nuts. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's sad. I mean, it, it is really just sad that, you know, after the year we had, and people are already just losing trust in government officials anyway, that now, you know, the start of the year, we're already going through so much adversity, and now Texas faces this, and, you know, they have to, like, sit there and be like, hmm, you know, can we get these people warm right now? No, it's just like we got to go through like we got to go through the chain of command to figure this one out. It's like, but Ted Cruz has a nice figure hand. it out. Ted Cruz figure has a real he's got a real nice hand. So good for Ted Cruz because yeah. I'm glad he had a nice weekend. <laughs> Jerk. And now balls. <laughs> That's how to solve the the humanitarian crisis in Texas. Uh, all seriousness, though, prayers to everybody in Texas. I know that there's a lot of good work that companies are doing. I mean, my company. Um, a couple of days ago just came out and said any donation that you make uh, will match one for one to any of the Texas relief funds and a lot of corporate companies stepping up to at least get you know food and water to people that's some of the battle so um, so definitely take advantage of resources if you know someone in the Texas area that's suffering from all that um, you know there, there are a lot of resources available so we encourage you to go seek them out let's go into our interview with Bobby Valentine now uh, on a much brighter note, uh, Bobby, as we talked about in our open, he has one of the most unique resumes I think I've ever seen of anyone ever, let alone just on the show. Baseball player, baseball manager, uh, Sigma Chi brother in Hoke, Bobby V. Um, and then went on to have a career in a little bit of entertainment, like ESPN. Um, I saw he has an IMBD profile too, so that's pretty sick. Um, and now is the current athletic director at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut. So here's Bobby Valentine. All right, everybody. With us this week in honor of baseball returning, we have former MLB player and manager, uh, master of disguise, some may say, and the current uh, athletic director for Sacred Heart University. We have Bobby Valentine joining us today. Bobby, how are you? <laughs> and you've got your mask on. He's got the mask on. <laughs> disguise. You said disguise, right? Yeah. yeah I, I'm fine. I'm here in beautiful Fairfield, Connecticut at Sacred Heart University and um, 
good to be on the show with you guys. Go Appreciate for it. it. And yeah, we'll, we'll touch upon the disguise aspect because we, have, we got questions on the mustache, but <laughs> get right into the good stuff. So um, you were originally highly touted baseball and football recruit. Not many people might know that, but you chose to choose baseball at USC. Uh, you were a member of the Sigma Chi fraternity there as well, which we're also brothers at. So that was a nice little piece of information to us. In uh, hope, bro. In hope. Sure. In Absolutely. Hope. <laughs> uh, tell us some of your ma- uh, favorite memories in college. We'd also love to hear about uh, your roommate, Bill Buckner, and the time you had with him. Yeah, well, yeah, I was his roommate in 68 in Ogden, Utah. And then we both went on to be freshmen at USC together. Um, yeah, we were going to play college athletics. Uh, Buck had a part baseball scholarship and part football scholarship. He was going to be a wide receiver and the first baseman. I had a full football scholarship, but they were going to let me play baseball uh, in the spring because John McKay and um, Rod Dato, the two football and baseball coaches respectively, at that time at SC uh, had a a working agreement where they allowed some guys to play both sports. As a matter of fact, um, I played in AAA with a guy who was a catcher on a AAA team who happened to be the catcher on the USC baseball team. And he was also the quarterback that handed off to OJ Simpson and his name was Steve Soggy. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, we were, we were at SC during that era and uh, when we went to check in at the uh, athletic dorm where it said on our scholarship that we received before we signed professionally, um, it was also our, uh, on our admissions papers. Uh, they, they told us we no longer uh, were registered at that dorm because that dorm was only for the Division One athletes on campus at USC and that we were transferred to other dorms. I was actually off campus, tra- transferred to a, um, a international uh, student's dorm. And uh, Buck was in the basement of a um, on-campus dorm that uh, had no windows and had no ventilation. And there were like 22 guys in one room with one shower, it seemed. And so we said, holy shit, we've got to get out of here. And so we went over and tried to find out what uh, the alternative housing would be for freshmen. And we found out there was none other than uh, paying our own freight somewhere or joining a fraternity. And so we moved up to fraternity row saw that a bunch of guys were sitting on the steps of uh, this big old white house and walked right up to it and said, Hey, if this is a fraternity, we're here because we want to join. And everyone got a chuckle out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Then we pledged. I found the white cross. That's right. On the last night of hell week, I was dropped off in Takanga Canyon, uh, Canyon, my big brother and the driver of the car, Mike Holmgren, who later was, um, you know, the coach, Mike Hungren of the NFL flame fame. Well, Mike was the backup quarterback at USC behind the aforementioned Steve Soggy. And he was a Sigma Chi and he was a friend. And so he, it was his car that drove me out to the Canyon. You know, they let me out from the back seat. There were no lights on the road, uh, you know, it was pitch black. And they said, we'll be back in a half an hour. Go find the white cross. Well, I decided I was going to climb the mountain that was adjacent to where I was left off. And I'm going to find the white cross. And sure as shit, I did. <laughs> the top of the mountain. I got to the top, top of the mountain. There was a helicopter landing 
spot. Oh. And it was designated on the on the ridge of the top of this small hill or, or small mountain, big hill, um, was a big cross in white that would be spotted. It was all painted in wood. And we didn't have cell phones and I didn't have my Kodak Brownie camera with me. So I was going, how the hell do I bring back the white cross? How do I prove that I found it? And so I took a rock and I banged off a corner of the wood uh, white cross and I put it in my pocket and I ran down the side of the hill and got down to the street as the as the car was pulling up I jumped in the back seat and they said well how'd you do and I said fine I found it and they both looked at each other like <laughs> I had six heads you know what I mean and uh, we laughed all the way back to oh, the man. house yeah that's incredible, man. That what's how about the college experience at USC? <laughs> that's a, that's a hell of a start for sure. Um, you, Bobby, you that's a hell of a start. Well, the next year when we checked in, it was after our AAA season. Okay, we finished playing AAA ball up in Spokane, Washington. We had to rush off to the university to sign our checks in person to wow. register registrate register for classes because in those days they had the draft and if you weren't a full-time student you weren't married with kids or you weren't crippled you went to vietnam yeah and part of our signing contract with the dodgers that we would remain full-time students to avoid the draft to keep us eligible to play baseball huh you know and all that stuff so we it's triple a we finish the season we get to sc we sign the checks we go in the uh the into class the first day we can't come out of class i get to my um dorm and you know you didn't have cell phones and there weren't uh, phones in your room there's only the pay phone in the lobby or outside the building or the um phone that called the building you know what i mean at the de at the front desk and when i got there there was a message that al P campanis called and there was a number on it al campanis was the general manager of the dodgers and i called him from the payphone and he said listen get a hold of buckner you and he are on the major league team for the last month of the season. We expanded the rosters. Why don't you come down to all the night games? Now, SC was a straight highway run of about 20 minutes right down um, Highway 10 to Dodger Stadium. So it was kind of cool. We were in school. We were in school going to class during the day. And then for nine games, the home games only, we didn't go on the road with the team, but for nine games during September, we would drive down to Dodger Stadium, put on our Dodger costume, and we'd be on the bench of the Dodger game <laughs> at night. Huh? If there was ever Instagram, the chicks would have been we had to be our own, our own Instagram, you know, and kind of wear a Dodger hat around campus the next day to see if someone would ask us if we were fans. And then we could get to say, no, no, we're high draft choices. And we play, we were on the team last night against Pittsburgh. Oh, man. Actually, I got in my first game against the New York Mets. It was the 69 Mets. Huh? Is that kind of crazy? Yeah. And they're in September and they're in a pennant race. 
and the Dodgers were out of the race, but I got the pinch run and I was on third base with Jerry Kuzman. You know who that is? All right. So he was a left-handed pitcher for the New York Mets time world championship team. He had a big windup and a real big leg. When I got the third, the third coach and steal home off guy. And so on the first, pitch, I was timing him to see how I could, get a good timing because on the next pitch I was going to steal home and the hitter swung at the first pitch and grounded out to short for the third out of the inning if I had stolen home and we had won that game the Mets would not have won the National League East Championship in 1969 that's kind of crazy huh that is crazy and then talking about your your MLB career here Bobby um you know you you played with the Dodgers the Angels the, the Padres Mets Mariners all that good stuff uh, just a memory that stuck out for me, which I'm sure is pretty cool for you. Um, you played center field for one of Nolan Ryan's no-hitters, and then you managed him a few years later. So how cool was that experience to be part of uh, quite literal history there? Well, yeah, I didn't know how big a history it was in 1973 when I made a couple pretty good catches in his first no-hitter. That was his first no-hitter, yeah. And then um, – if you fast forward to 88, that's 73 to 88 and 89, he becomes a member of the Texas Rangers and I'm his manager. And uh, he went on to pitch his sixth no hitter, his seventh no hitter uh, while I was managing his 5,000 strikeout, his 300th win. Um, so every one of those games um, were not only uh, memorable, but at the time you knew that they were historic. While I was playing center field for Nolan's first no-hitter. I felt, oh, hold on, you know, just another no-hitter in the big leagues. Uh, it's not that big a deal. But once you accumulate seven of those big boys, it becomes a real big deal. Absolutely. And, you know, going more into your uh, coaching career, you manage the Rangers, Mets, and Red Sox. Um, a lot of fans do know you, though, and I alluded to that in the beginning of the disguise. So the mustache and the glasses incident in 1999. Uh, you know, kind of give us a rundown of what went on. You know, Mahomes is on the mound. Piazza gets uh, called to the catcher's box. He's ejected. Tell us what happened. Yeah, that's basically it. Catcher's box, that everyday occurrence. You know, you've never heard of it before you heard of Bobby Valentine, and you never heard of it uh, used again after, except for in that particular instance. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a ridiculous call at a ridiculous time. It was an extra inning game. Um, it was a real tense situation in my personal career because uh, my co- three of my favorite coaches were fired, unbeknownst to me, three days before. And I made a proclamation when they get they got fired that I would leave the team and quit if by um, the time we finished our next 55 games, see the, the coaches got fired after the first 55 games. And so I said at the press conference that the coaches didn't want me to go with them and be loyal because they wanted me to stay and turn the thing around. We had lost seven games in a row at the time. And one of the writers, uh, wisecracked, uh, well, what will you do in the next 55 games? And I said, well, we'll go 40 and 15. And he said, and if you don't, I said, well, I'll quit. So this was like three games into that 
proclamation, which was going to have me not be the manager anymore, where we had a lead, we blew it, we go into extra innings, I call a good pitch out, we're going to throw the guy out at second, and the umpire is going to pull this rule out of his ass, uh, which is, has like I said, never been called before or since. Um, yeah, so I told the umpire what I was thinking, he threw me out of the game. I didn't want my coaches to be in the dugout by themselves because um, I didn't know how well they knew the team. They were only there for a couple, three days. So uh, Oral Hershiser and Robin Ventura initiated me putting glasses and a hat and a T-shirt on and and um, going down to the dugout. The mustache routine was just the stuff you put underneath your eyes when in fact you want to keep the glare out those stickers and I took a sticker and put it here another one hit put it there it was a mustache with disguise it wasn't a very good one and cost me <laughs> uh, five thousand dollars in the two day two game suspension which was um appealed to letter Coleman to get it to two and five because initially it was three day suspension and ten days and ten thousand uh, dollar fine. So, it was a nice conversation with the president of the league to have him laugh a little and and only only charge me five thousand for the act for the act. Yeah. So, so does Oral Hershiser pay your fine at that point? I feel like he kind of threw you under the bus there. You have to at least cut a deal with him, right? Yeah. No, Oral paid for nothing. <laughs> very good friend of mine. He played for Lasorda and learned well from Lasorda, you know, to walk away when the check comes and <laughs> always have the wrong credit card that that place isn't. Uh. You know, it's a good trick. If you just, when you check in, if you look at what credit cards are accepted and then when they come to the, bring the bill, you say, oh, you take American Express, right? And they say, oh, no, we're sorry, but we take Master Discovery and Visa. Then you pass it off to your friends and say, sorry, guys, I only have an American Express with me. <laughs> uh, you get full credit for trying to drop it on there at the beginning, but you have already checked it out at the cashier that they don't take American Express. You know what I mean? Wow, that's funny. You really threw Oral under the bus there. Just now. That's yeah, well, Oral's good at that stuff. No, Oral's, uh, Oral initiated the costume, and then he said he was going to sit up on the top step of the dugout and keep the umpires and the cameras from seeing where I was, and I was supposed to be behind him, but the angle of the camera, the third base camera, got me behind him you so, guys are pretty good uh, he yeah. did kind of give me up yeah yeah well that's uh so that's your managing career in a nutshell it's so funny but that's it that's what that's <laughs> did. and you and you missed out that i also spent seven years of my life and won over 450 games uh managing a team in japan the chibalote marines yep uh which is their major league team and i count them as major league wins because i was a major league manager managing that major league team yes sir and you, you enjoyed a, a long career in Japan. We'll talk about kind of where you see baseball in a second here, but want to talk about what you're doing now. Obviously, college athletics world, is, I, I believe, is going to be your eighth year coming up with Sacred Heart um, over in Fairfield, Connecticut. And since then, there's been a lot of good stuff. You guys renovated the Pitt Center. You added a bunch of new facilities. Um, you, you've got a lot more in the pipeline. So uh, what's going on at Sacred Heart, and what do you see next over these next couple of years for uh, the Pioneers? Yeah, well, we have. We built a lot of new facilities, including football and soccer fields with scoreboards and uh, stands and uh, the whole nine yards. And 
I renovated the pit center, like you said, and uh, added uh, four Division One teams and built the Bobby Valentine Rec Center, $23 million Bobby Valentine Rec Center, which was um, um, fundraised. And um, there was there was enough of appreciation to put my name on the building, but it's not really on the building. It's kind of out in front of the building and it designates that that's what the building is. But some people say, Oh, I thought you had a building with your name on it. Let's get it straight. It's <laughs> not a building with my name on it. It's just okay. the side of the it building. Is. Name's on the side. The name, uh, my name is for the building, but it's not on the building. <laughs> yeah. So next we're building a, um, a very expensive uh, hockey rink. Uh, for our Division One uh, men and women's teams, um, we're renovating a, a baseball field. We're trying to put in new tennis courts, uh, field hockey court, and uh, throws area for our track and field team. So, uh, yeah, those things should get done within the next two and a half or three years. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest adjustment to moving to this world of college athletics for you? Like, what what did you think that you needed to get up to speed on when you first started here? Oh, everything. You know, I, I had no idea about it. I never played college sports. Uh, I was only in college for three years of my life. I uh, never graduated from college. Um, you know, so, you know, the NC2A, the compliance, the amount of teams that we had, the, um, you know, the league that we were playing in, uh, you know, to get the uh, athletic director of the year award from the ECAC, which is one of the conferences we play in was a great honor, but uh, it was a little premature because I'm, I was still learning three years into this job and um, I kind of know everything that I'm supposed to know. At least I know what the abbreviations stand for. <laughs> I'll follow that up with what, what's, what are you most excited about for this next year or two at Sacred Heart? Just getting the student athletes competing again. Uh, you know, we have six of our teams that are doing it. They're, being met with all the protocols and all the delays of the COVID world that we're living in. But I also have the canceled winter sports who are, I mean, uh, fall sports who are coming around. Those sports are going to play in the spring. So it's uh, kind of uh, stuffing 10 pounds of feathers into a five pound bag. and It's going to be quite challenging, but I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And so we were uh, Bryant University alumni. So we uh, NEC. NEC. We understand the uh, everything that's going on and are excited for uh, all the fall sports to continue. It was really nice of the Bulldogs to let our women's basketball team win two last weekend. That was. Uh, you're telling me, <laughs> yeah. I, I was there. I, I was doing the PA for those games. We had the delay uh, the second game. Glad we got it done. Unfortunately, you won this one. So Bobby, Bobby two, Jake zero. But um, <laughs> good work. You got. I mean, you guys have had so many of these sports programs transform over the years. Is there one that sticks out? I know hockey is obviously a, a big win for Sacred Heart uh, over these past couple of years, getting the hockey team up and running and, and having a, a really respectable program. Is that at the top of the list for you? Uh, I, know, I don't put any of the teams at the top of the list. I put, uh, you know, everyone in it together because this idea of uh, – NEC collegiate division one sports is really about the experience. Um, I mean, there's, there's not going to be any Saturday afternoon trophy award-winning programs on CBS uh, television for any of our teams. So um, we, we are going to just continue to make the experience of uh, playing collegiate athletics, the as good an experience as we can. And, the, the idea of one sport um, 
being on the top or, or not, I think we're going to spend more money on hockey than any other sport right. that we ever spent on. Uh, so that kind of puts them in the top of some list. But, um, you know, priorities wise, you know, the fencing team and the bowling team and the uh, cross country team that kind of get neglected, even our, our uh, crew team, our, our women's um, equestrian team, you know, they, they're off campus in field hockey, they're off campus. So they're kind of out of, uh, out of sight, but they're never out of mind. Absolutely. Heading right back into baseball before we let you go. Okay. Uh, you know, getting the perspective from you, a former player, a former manager, both domestic and abroad, as well as a ESPN analyst. What kind of, how do you see the season going for 2021 with more restrictions, you know, the players wanting to play and, and also the league and the um, different teams losing a lot of money. How do you anticipate uh, the 2021 season going smoothly? Well, I just hope that it can go smoothly. I doubt that it will be uh, without um, uh, challenge. I, I think that there will be some delays. There probably will be some, um, you know, period in time where people get a little too confident or too relaxed and and kind of have to step back a step. But uh, I think eventually it'll, it'll end. This will be a big year to get uh, you know, stored away because uh, the new collective bargaining bargaining agreement will um, incur after this year. So um, it, it's a real big year for the way things are, the way things were, and uh, of course, the way things are going to be. And I think they're going to be different. And do you do you like the universal DH? Do you think that should stick around or no? Well, I you know I think it's like. Um, trying to to talk against global warming or something it's you know it's going to happen um you know you just have to figure out how to live with it and uh, how to make it as good as possible most see most front offices now are uh employed by people who are 40 and under okay all of those people unless they played in the national league of professional baseball here or in the uh, the central league of the professional baseball in Japan, they played the game without the pitcher hitting. So they don't have any appreciation of what the game is as a player with a pitcher hitting. So, um, you know, there's no reason to expect them to want anything other than what they're most familiar with, and that is the DH. So it, it's coming, and it's just going to be a bargaining chip here in this con next collective bargaining agreement. Absolutely. And one last thing. So obviously the team that made the biggest splash this year just in terms of uh, changing its program are the Mets, a team that you're familiar with. What kind of expectations do you see them going in uh, the next season and the years to come with Obviously, uh, Steve Cohen, some new players in the organization and just the high expectations they have. Yeah, I think the expectations should be high. They're a very good team. They have uh, the wherewithal of a really good guy and a good uh, fan of baseball in the Mets and Steve Cohen and his family. Um, they, they're going to go. They'll be trending upward for a long time. Let's put it that way. They uh, they've got it going and. And, you know, the, the deals that they made so far uh, will pale in comparison to the 
uh, trades or moves that they're going to make halfway through the season to actually make the team what it needs to be to be as good a team as there is in baseball. And I think that by the end of the year, that's what they're going to look like. Bobby, thanks so much for joining us today. We know how uh, busy you are. Real quick, as a good friend of uh, one of your best coaches, Dave Bike, you have any good Dave Bike stories or no? Well, what people must understand about Dave Bike, who uh, the pioneer gym is named for, the f- floor of the uh, of our basketball court has the Dave Bike court on it, and Dave uh, was the first baseball player yes. drafted out of the state of Connecticut. Okay, he was a senior the year that the draft began. Prior to 1964, uh, everyone was a free agent, all the kids, high school, college. Otherwise, you know, everybody had a free shot at them. And then they instituted this draft where one team had the rights for the player that they drafted for an entire year where they get to sign him and then kind of treat him as chattel. So he was a catcher and a home run hitter with the Detroit um, Tiger organization. If Bill Freeham wasn't in the big leagues, he probably would have gotten big league time. Um, and um, other than that, you know, he's just a good guy to have around. A great memory, great uh, mind, great at uh, analytics. He 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 got the numbers part of the game before they were putting him into a computer. Uh, the, and so that's David Bike in, in a nutshell, I guess, huh? Yes, it is. And that man is, uh, he's a math professor. Who can forget? So that's where the analytics come from for sure. But Bobby, thanks again so much. Uh, where can our listeners engage with Sacred Heart content and uh, keep up with what's going on? Yeah, well, shoebigred.com is probably the best place to go. That gives you all the current scores and activities. Um, or you could just... Um, you know, go to NEC front row and watch some of our teams play. We're streaming all of our games uh, that <clears throat> are, are in the NEC. So uh, we've got a lot, a lot of action going on. I hope everyone out there can enjoy what we're doing and what Bryant's doing and what everyone else is doing because it's been a trying year for collegiate sports and college athletics and especially for the student athletes and any kind of support they could get uh, is warranted and also needed. Right on. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with this, everything you're doing this year. And uh, thank you. Guys. We'll talk to you soon. And Hoke. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Good job. Very good job. Thank you. And that was just Bobby Valentine, former MLB player and coach, now athletic director, director of Sacred Heart. Uh, like we, you know, we preface it, interesting interview, interesting guy. Uh, he was uh, definitely fun to talk to. We appreciate him giving us the time. Uh, I think he had like four or five different, um, I'm not sure if it was just media or meetings. He, he was a busy guy that day. So we appreciate him diving, de- diving deep into the stories. But yeah. What an electric factory. Do you think Oral Hershiser should pay his fine? Because I do. I mean, it's 5000 The fact that he still holds over $5,000 is just, like, hilarious. Like, that's just funny to me. Especially because, I mean, sticking to the baseball theme right now, it's like baseball money is just insane. Because, you know, we're going to talk about Fernando Tatis' monster contract. Like, he just received, uh, what, $340 million Yeah, well, might as well just dive into yeah. it here. So, Fernando Tatis, Padre shortstop, um... Didn't even start on the Padres. No. To preface it, 
and all of a sudden he has a couple of really good years. He had a career year last year already. Because couple, like, I mean, I don't think it's even been a couple. Maybe like just one. one and a half. Yeah, one and a half. Five. If you even and like last year was a half year, so one, like one one good season. But even regardless, in a crowded Padres infield. Tatis is the one that gets paid. He's getting Manny Machado money, who is the third baseman right next to him. I don't think when the Padres signed Machado, we ever would have envisioned this happening. But 13 years, $340 million for Tatis. Yeah, I mean, the Padres are clearly in win now. Um, all the moves they're making, you know, they acquire a Hugh Darvish, a Joe Musgrove, a Blake Snell, uh, Mike Clevenger last year. They signed Machado two years ago to that monster deal to start this rebuild. They have uh, Eric Hosmer and Aaron Nola. Like they have the pieces there, and they're trying to compete. And now you give Tatis, who originally was on the White Sox, um, and they traded. That trade was actually absurd. It was Tatis for um, James Shield. Yeah, and James Shields was just. Awful. At the end awful, of his career. Awful, awful. And he was a great pitcher beforehand, but that trade did not go well. Yeah, I mean, Tatis for James Shield. <laughs> That's just crazy. But granted, like the White Sox do have Tim Anderson, so like, you know, no harm, no foul there. But they are clearly in win now. And I think it's just so crazy that the money in baseball is just getting bigger and bigger each year. Like right now, the Padres have two of the largest contracts ever given out of like, you know, the seven currently right now. I believe it's Harper, Machado, and Tatis, Trout, Garrett Cole, Stanton, and one other player that I can't name off the top of my head, but. Did we say Bauer? No, I don't think, I don't no. think because Trevor Bauer's not in the 300 mark. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, and we'll touch upon Trevor Bauer in a second regarding his money, but. Yeah, I mean, the Padres are in win now. Like, looking at the breakdown of his contract. So it's 14 years, $340 million. This year, he'll be making a million. Not a bad bargain. Mm. Uh, $5 million next year. $7 million in 2023. $11 million in 24. In 2025 and 2026, he's making 20. The next two years, 25. And the remainder of his contract's 36. I think it's a win-win for both situations because Tatis gets his massive payday, Right. Um, the Padres now have, you know, let's say if the $11 million is the breaking point per year, the AAV, they have from now to 2024 to still compete, bring back some of the guys they have after they just acquired them, and sign new players to win a, win a World Series. They can trade them if they win a World Series in the next five to seven years, because why pay a guy in, you know, his 30s this much money? So... I still think it's crazy that Tatis can have one great year and you lock him in now. What kind of money are we going to see from like Juan Soto? That's the thing. Glaber Torres. All these guys. and Tim Anderson, well, too. Aaron like, Judge, too, is going to be asking for it. Yeah. I don't think he deserves it. No. But he's on the older side. Like, we're talking about our guys in our in the early 20s. Right, right. Um, yeah, you like know, Soto's younger than us. Yeah, like the Braves are the smartest one getting ahead of the curve and signing um, Ozzy to a 10-year. Yeah, Ozzy Albies and Acuna. Yeah. They both got signed for pennies compared to this. Yeah. And, it's, and to them, know, it was still monster money, and it was still great. But if they waited a year or two and let these guys evolve, they would have been getting tripled the amount, which it's like sucks for them, but at least they're locked in and they can restructure later on. But, I mean, that's just a lot of money. And San Diego, it's like 
you know, all these years they're considered a small market team, but they're not in a small market. I mean, no, California and San Diego specifically is not a small market whatsoever, but... Well, if someone offers all that money to go play your entire career in San Diego, like, I would do that instantly. I mean, think about all the players right now. It's like, you know, it used to be like New York and Boston and Houston and all of these like places, but why the fuck wouldn't you be in Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, I would say Tampa, but not really. Not really. Not Tampa, but no, I'm just saying Miami. Um, and my, but both those Florida teams are not that good. No. It's like, <laughs> you know, you have the Angels, the Dodgers, the Padres, the West Coast. It's like, why the hell not? Like, I don't, I don't see why, like, Trevor Bauer decided to choose the Dodgers over the Mets. Like, yeah. he's from California. Like, he went to school in California. Like, take the warm weather and take the money. Yeah, the, the, the Giants, the A's yeah. I would even go play yeah. for, the Mariners. Because Seattle's pretty cool. Hell, the Rockies. Why not? It's yeah. Denver. Denver's on the come up. You know, but any of those West Coast teams, those are now, by virtue of just being on the West Coast, a big market team. Yeah. And sure, you know, the Dodgers, absolutely, they won the World Series, and they're good, and they deserve it. But it is what it is. That's our ball segment. Uh, hope you enjoyed our interview with Bobby Valentine. Do we have Positivity Corner news this week? Yes, we do. So... We dropped the hint on tea and beer, so let's just go into the tea industry. Green tea compound could be the hold to key, hold the key to beating breast cancer. Mm. Um, compelling news study of the EGCG. So green tea has been consumed in China for over 4,000 years and it's becoming more westernized. Um, but they're saying that different chemical compounds within it could be the, um, the saving grace of defeating cancer, specifically in breast cancer. So it switches on a gene called the P53, which is proven to block the development of tumors. Um, so they're just doing more intrigual studies on the T and the specific compound to see if they can incorporate that in different medicines, um, as well as treatment procedures to help uh, you know find a cure for breast cancer. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, T is obviously uh, just very healthy for you in general. You know, it's been linked to you know less stress and common cold medicines and. Um, weight loss. So, you know, if scientists can figure out how to transform that into something to cure cancer, I'm all for it. I agree, man. Tea. Beer. <laughs> tea and beer. Beer tea. <laughs> beer tea. Does beer tea cure cancer? I'm, we'll I'm, find I'm, out. We'll find out. If, <laughs> I, I guess. Maybe. And that's talking beer and positivity corner. Yeah, and nice. tea. Talking tea. <laughs> talking tea. Is that. If this works, we're gonna have to do a new segment. Spill the tea. Spill, ooh. But yeah. instead of drama, it's just <laughs> news on tea. It's just literally talking yeah. about tea. Oh man. I cannot wait to divulge with you guys what uh, what this project is with beer and tea and a, a social media guru of sort. In his own right, I think. In his own niche and area. He's not like, when you think of social media, like, oh, it's him. But, great dude. Great dude. We'll have more for you on that, and we'll keep you guys updated on our progress. That is it for us. Got an exciting episode 43 planned for you next week. From all of us at House Enterprise, that's Will and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy. Take it easy.